Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer, with my guest, Dr. Dave Reeder, who's here with me to kick off our conversations about the family. We're going to be starting by asking a very practical question. What does it mean to be part of a family? You know, as the old saying goes, you can't choose your family. Well, is this really true? The answer depends on how you define the word family. Dave, welcome. Would you introduce yourself? And then we're going to dive right in. Sure. Absolutely, Steph. Uh, First of all, just glad to be here. Glad to be asked to, to join in on this. So, yeah, simple. To my parents, I'm David still. Uh, to everybody else, kind of Dave or, you know, students who've had me both in an acad- in a higher ed setting or, you know, currently at the uh, church and school I'm at, I'm, I get to be Dr. Reader with them. <laughs> with my own boys, I have a 15-year-old high school sophomore and a sixth grade 12-year-old. I'm just, hey, you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm a career 25-year DCE. I've been married for 22 years now, or coming up on 22 years now, uh, to my wife, Andrea. Did most of my DCE career in Southern California. I've been at a couple of different congregations, served uh, in a district position, had uh, an academic role teaching at a Concordia. I've done some writing on the side, you know, just a few little things here and there. Just some writing on the side, huh? Why don't you tell us about, uh, especially the book that probably pertains to our conversation today, and and why, I mean, you're not just a random dude off the streets to talk about family. You have uh, quite the list of credentials. Yeah, so probably the book you're referencing, uh, Concordia Publishing House, I was you know, grateful to work with them uh, in basically taking my doctoral dissertation and making it readable. I took what I did in my doctoral work, focusing on confirmation. That's where I started uh, with the question of how do you encourage or help to keep young people in the faith and was truly trying to digest, okay, so is it a teaching method or or what, what is the deal? And ended up circling around how the family is connected to the life of the church before confirmation has the most predictive qualities with regard to how they're going to remain connected. You know, so I'm I'm looking for that silver bullet at the time saying, what can I do from a teaching standpoint and discover it really has to do with how we care for the family to begin with. And that's what ended up becoming Teaching the Faith at Home, uh, which is the book I wrote a few years ago with CPH. And I get more chance to talk about that one than anything else that I've uh, done in the, in the kind of the writing sphere. But it is the it's kind of that fun in the sense of how do you dig into uh, helping moms and dads to kind of sit down and say, I can do this. I can have a conversation with my kids about the faith, even if I don't myself think I have all the answers. And I think it's very freeing to be able to say to a parent. And often when I'm in that context, I want to I encourage dads especially, because I think we, as a dad, we kind of come into this and say, I need to have answers. Well, no, you're, you're a fellow traveler to some degree. You're seeking answers and your kids will figure out that you don't have all the answers soon enough. So maybe if you let them in on the fact that you're trying to discover 
and grow in faith just as much as they are, that then you become travelers on the journey of faith together. And it helps to equip them to be able to dig in and, you know, you know, as dad is pulling out scripture saying, you know what, that's a great question. I've never thought of that. Let's discover it together. Let's dig in for an answer together. We're just, we're going to start at ground zero here because this is kind of the, the beginning or the launching point by which we're building the entire season or series. Again, let's start with the basics. What does it even mean to be a family? What does the word family mean? You know, it's it's one of those deceptively simple yet complex kinds of things because I, I remember having conversation serving in a congregation. We're talking about family ministry, and you you initially approach family ministry and you think in terms of you know the family relationship. You get mom and dad and kids, and then how that impacts that kind of the family system around that and how God uh, places people around that to nurture. And yet at the same time, there's the interesting complexity to it of families aren't that neat all the time. There isn't just, you can't just say it's mom and dad and a couple of kids. That's my current setting. That's what I have for my own family. But I've known plenty of families where it's grandparents raising grandkids and there's adoptions and you know there's all that additional complexity but kind of at a foundational level there is that calling together of people where God places and he, he begins this with the calling of a husband and wife together and then nurtures and grows family out from that that doesn't exclude the person who isn't in that because there's a larger family. We'll get into that. But I think that's kind of the foundational starting point. Do you think family, especially in the kind of culture and the times that we're in today, do you think now maybe more than ever, and this is not a trick question, I'm, I'm just genuinely curious, yeah. do you think the word is confusing to, to some, the word family, especially those who don't have what a, we would consider a traditional nuclear family? I think at a basic level, we understand what family means, and yet at the same time, no one wants to feel left out. And, and I don't think we want to convey to anybody that they are being, in any sense, left out. And so I think that's where the, com the com complication comes in, where, you know, that prototypical nuclear family, if you don't fit that, no fault to your own. It's the situation. It's the hand that you've been dealt in life, you know. So, I mean, this is where you get the fun stuff. Like, you know, my son even did this. My 15-year-old my uh, did a Friendsgiving thing with his friends uh, mm -hmm. in high school. You know, he's been in and out of, you know, bands that he's a part of and kind of a thing, which I find hysterical at this point. <laughs> um, but... You know, it's kind of like there's 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 family in the sense of the biological in that that nurturing place. But but I think God also places us with a group of friends at times that function in the same way as family. Hmm. And so I think that adds maybe a level of complexity. And is it family in a technical sense? Well, one might say no, but at the same time, does it provide some of the same stability and purposes that God has for family? I'd argue yes, and at times there's ways in which a friend group that functions as family can be less dysfunctional than our own home uh, family of origin hmm. 
which which maybe provides i mean it's it complicates matters but at the same time it's another method by which i think god provides that stability for us and that place of nurturing yeah that's a good point i am no expert in etymology i did some simple googling on the word family and you can go down rabbit holes just if you're that nerdy and interested in such things but um what i did find especially when i when i looked up the biblical framework or definition kind of of family, a word that can be interchangeably used is household. So if you're a member of the same household, you are a family. And so that kind of broadens the perspective of, well, as you said, friends, uh, close church members can come and go into your household. You can include them within the goings on of your of your own home. But then also uh, household could include the extended family members, uh, so grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles. And so our perspective is kind of broadened when we think of family like that. Dave, how does God define the family? Well, I think God begins by how does he, how do, what does he create that then nurtures what becomes family. I mean, family begins in Genesis when God gives Adam and Eve to each other, and he teaches them what it means to be husband and wife, to think of the other first before themselves. Uh, This is where we get into the, the most struggle within a marriage is when we forget that side of it. Then from there, it's his call for us to be fruitful, to multiply, the way in which God asks us and places us together. I mean, the very design of the way in which we come about as people, what, what, it, what it takes, how he's created us and nurtures us and what it requires for us to be nurtured. I mean, you think about, and this might be a little far flung from your question, but people and you know you you wouldn't take an infant and turn an infant loose or a toddler loose to live in the wild and yet every other creature that god has created within a couple of years of life is cut loose and 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 on their own and so it's interesting that god creates us in such a way that we are dependent upon some form of older person in our lives, whether that is mom and dad. So God creates us from the beginning and creates us in such a way that we have a need for nurturing and caring and for an extended period. So why does God value the family so much? I think God values the family because he values us as people. And He he's designed the family. He created us. He values us because he created us. And he values the family because he created the family. And he created the family for that nurturing purpose. He knows how, how life best works. And he looks to the, the family as a foundational building block. The family is not the only place where nurturing and caring takes place. But without the family, that nurturing and caring wouldn't as effectively take place, hmm. you know, where you where you see communities struggle when there's a weakening of family structures. You don't want to pick on people that are in those those settings and have a have an issue with their, but it, but there is a certain benefit, and God sees the benefit, and so He establishes the family. He designed us for it, and so He values it because He knows the benefit that it is. 
how does the family then find its identity within the bigger family of God? And I guess by family of God, what I mean is the church. Yeah. The church, you know, it's kind of like the easy, you know, extended family, especially for any of us who, uh, you know, don't have their extended family nearby for a good chunk of time, you know, Thankfully, when my kids were younger, you know, both sets of grandparents were local to us. Uh, but a couple of years ago, we moved, and now we can go visit them. They're five, six hours away, but that's not quite as easy as they're a half an hour away. Yeah. You know, so the church family becomes that set of extra grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, in a sense, that become an extra structure in a sense or an extra community a place where or similar values are shared where you know you have a reinforcement of what you're trying to teach your kids i will never forget this there was a, a particular time i was teaching a high school bible study years ago and there was a teenage girl i don't even remember particularly what it what subject or, or what the topic was and I made a statement and she says, oh, you sound like my mom. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And begrudgingly, she says, because you're right. <laughs> like she was she was like frustrated to hear that. It's like, OK, but it, but it, she she got it. She's hearing it from home. And then she shows up to youth group and she hears in a Bible study the same thing taught by her DCE. She's hearing the same thing. She's like, oh, I guess I need to listen to this now. <laughs> you know, so you, you have that echoing that goes on, hmm. you know, in a sense. I mean, that's, you know, the, the whole idea of catechesis is that echoing. And I think the church is a place in which that can happen where you want to encourage, and as a DCE, I've always tried to encourage members of the church, get to know families, get to know kids by name so that you can greet them, so that you can have conversation, that you can learn about them, so that these young people, as they're growing up within that faith community, they have extra people that they can grow to trust and to rely on because there may be, there are going to be moments. I mean, even as much as, you know, I want my boys to be able to come to me and my wife with all sorts of questions. I know that there's certain ones that they're going, yeah, no, I'm not bringing to you. <laughs> you know, right. yeah, I'm the, I'm the trained church worker. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm probably the person where some young people in the congregation will come to me instead of their parents, but my own kids are going to go somewhere else too. I want them to have a place where there's trusted adults where they know, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need to be able to, to bounce this off somebody. Yeah. That's kind of what the church is for. Do you think it's fair to say that you had mentioned that already in Genesis, that God has created the structure of the family as a husband and wife, Adam and Eve. Do you think that it's fair to say that just as you know, marriage is a picture, a reflection of Christ and his relationship to his bride, the church, that family is a is a microcosm of really um, the greater reality that is the family that God has knit together through faith and baptism as the body of Christ. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's why, you know, we, we talk about, you know, being adopted and brought into God's family through the waters of baptism, because that's the very thing that's taking place, that we're born into one family and then in through baptism, born into another. And this is why, much as on occasion, sometimes we get the request around the church, you know, hey, can we have a baptism? We'd like it to be private because we just want it to be amongst our own family. It's like, well, there's a reason why we don't typically do that because you're being brought into a larger family and that larger family wants to meet you hmm. and wants to know who you are and wants to be able to support you. And when that happens, the pastor speaks words to that effect to the congregation to say, you know, this is a new member of the family. Hair for them as a member of the family. Yeah, and especially with this beginning at baptism, we're given a name at birth. My name is Stephanie. My maiden name is Arnott. But at baptism, we're given a greater name, and that is we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're given a name that is everlasting, that claims us as members of Christ's very family. I think it's even in the baptismal rite that the congregation voices back to the pastor. We are brought together in Christ's name to be a family of faith. I'm really curious your thoughts on this. Dave, Matthew 12 has a really interesting passage that I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Jesus is talking to the crowds, and just verbatim it says here, his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him, and someone told him, like, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And here's his reply, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What do you make of that? That's one of those fun ones where it's it's it it viscerally it feels uncomfortable right from the beginning. It, so I'm just going to own that. That's right there. It feels <laughs> uncomfortable because you you know a lot of times when I'm trying to teach scripture, I want to put myself in the place of different characters within there to kind of get a sense of okay, how would they respond? What are they thinking? which is a little delicate, you know, you, you can't fully 100% pull that off. But it's, but I, I kind of wonder, like, okay, so I'm a brother of this rabbi. He's gathered disciples. He's kind of stirring things up a bit. Maybe I'm we're, we're coming to kind of say, hey, this might be getting out of hand. That's his response. What do you mean, who am I? <laughs> we grew up together. We played as kids together. I know you're the perfect kid, but I mean, come on. But I don't really think, I mean, when you, when you look at it, I don't really think that what he's getting at is a shot at his own family, but he's kind of taking that picture of family and enlarging it and saying, mm. who are my brothers and sisters? It's not intended to be exclusionary. You know, I think if, if you didn't end up having James and Jude later as brothers of Jesus as leaders in the church, if, uh, James especially, if, if, if he was there and took part in this and really ended up feeling as if this was a, a shot at him, that would be a, a bigger difficulty. But I mean, maybe looking further ahead, you kind of say, okay, maybe he eventually got the picture. I could imagine in the moment it being difficult. But Jesus is enlarging the picture and saying, when you're brought into the family of God. And again, coming back to the baptism point, when you're adopted, when you're brought in and God is now seeing 
in this perspective as father, by the way, who am I as Jesus in relation to you? I'm your brother. Hmm. And so he's expanding, not excluding in that moment. And I, and I think it's easy when you first read, you kind of you scroll, you, you, you slip through that thing and go, oh, wow. <laughs> those are the things that high school Bible studies or middle school Bible studies, that's what they love to find those things because they think they're the great ones to stump you with and, and have fun <laughs> and go, yeah, but what about this? There's a bigger picture to it, I think, that's going on there that is actually intended to be more broadly inclusive and a welcoming, hmm. but it does come off a little awkward in a moment. Yeah. Well, Jesus throughout the Gospels uses hyperbole often to make a point, to emphasize yeah. that through the bond that is faith in Christ, we are gathered together as a family that will endure through eternity, whereas uh, flesh and blood will fail but our bond together as brother and sister in Christ will endure forever. Uh, so, Dave, before we wrap up, we've talked about God's good design and his plan for family. But then there's Satan and sin, and he comes yep. in and just kind of turns the knife. I'm wondering why you think it is that Satan cares to attack the family so much and how those attacks play out, especially in our modern context. Well, if the family is the place of nurturing and growth and development, uh, there isn't a better place to target to alter that development, to, to influence the way in which uh, young people grow up, the way in which we uh, form spiritually, morally, to kind of take and alter God's initial design. It's a place to weaken society as a whole. Because if you have larger and larger numbers of dysfunctional families, uh, you end up in the long term with a less functional society. And that's hard things to say because we, we, we want to, uh, and especially in our culture today, we want to be inclusive. We want to uh, love everybody regardless of their family of origin and the, the configuration of their families. But there is a particular design that God had in mind. There is a reason why God placed men and women together in that nurturing, because they bring different things to the, the raising of children. My boys need to hear something from their mother, just like they need to hear something from their father. And there's different times. We have to play tag team on occasion. And Satan looks at that and says, oh, if I can get the two of you off, so that you're not dealing with each other well, then I can start messing with them. So rather than targeting each individual, play with the relationships. Play with the relationships in such a way where we're not hearing each other well, where we're not considering what the other person has for needs, uh, assuming the worst instead of the best of them. Taking offense at everything. I kind of wonder in our current uh, societal climate. We seem to be really experts at taking offense. We, I, we do this individually within the family, but I think it trickles out to the point if we don't learn how to, I don't want to be, you know, classic Gen X guy and say, you know, toughen up and just take it. But I am kind of that guy who's, who there's a, there's an element to which, okay, I've been offended. Okay. I love you anyway. We're going to disagree with each other. 
can we love in a context in which where we disagree with each other? Or does it start pulling us apart too much? Satan attacks the family in such a way so that we, it kind of creates a fragility within us so that we're looking to be offended, that we're, we see concern and offense and, and it, it separates rather than brings us together. So I, th- I think that's where a lot of this comes from, where, where Satan is coming at the family and saying, this is so foundational, even to the extent that it like it's a success if Satan will always recognize that the family is foundational because he knows the truth. And if he can distract the rest of us from seeing that truth, that we no longer even think of the family as foundational, but it's as optional, that'd be a bonus if you have a family, but not really a requirement. That's a huge success for it. To push towards isolationism, to push towards uh, mm-hmm. a man being an, an island, a rule unto himself rather than being accountable and responsible for other people, leads us to a, a lot of uh, difficulties that ultimately not only affect a family, but a community and a state. So there's the ripple effect from all of that. But how does it really benefit our society, our civil society? government, but also our moral society, to have families that live according to God's design? You know, it, it's interesting. I think I'll put it in into context within my own family. I got, I got the two boys, and our big project right now, in a sense, as a family is how do we learn how to talk with each other? How do we get along with each other? How do we not fight? It's foundational. As you're growing up, as you're maturing, the family is that, you know, kind of laboratory in which we learn how to deal with our emotions. We learn how to communicate. We learn how to forgive and to love even when we irritate each other. I don't expect my boys not to irritate each other. That would be completely unrealistic to say, I want you for 24 hours just to completely get along. And I think everybody else in the family would just laugh at me and they go, Dad, you're, you're out of your mind. Because I know you're going to tick each other off. You're going to do something that bothers him. Okay. How do you maturely respond when what you were hoping would happen doesn't happen? When what you were anticipating thought you deserved or thought you should receive, when that doesn't happen, what do you do? Okay. So the family is that place where that maturing takes place. When that person is then launched into the world, they start establishing their own families. They get, you know, they start a career. You know, my 15-year-old now has a job. And I want to hear back that he's a good employee because it bodes well for him in his future career, whatever that happens to be. And at 15, he doesn't have to have any idea of what that is yet. But I want him to be responsible. It's that nurturing that takes place in the family that prepares him for the social interactions that take place that will help him do well in his first job and the jobs moving forward. It's it's how he will step out in a few years into college and then hopefully get into a relationship where he ends up married. And, you know, and and it kind of builds from there where, again, the family is so foundational because it builds the character within someone so that they deal with each other with respect, with honesty. They know to expect that and expect it of themselves. 
And so I think that uplifts society as a whole when that nurturing that God knew from the beginning needed to take place somewhere, and he places that within the family, that ripples out into society. And the more young people that end up leading in places that have a supportive family, regardless of to some degree of whether that family is, you know, a mom and a dad, a stepmom, stepdad, adoption, those different configurations in that regard, if there's love and nurturing taking place, that builds into kind of strength for a society. So the family is really the training ground for Christians. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've touched on this quite a bit, but when you don't find yourself within the, you know, maybe what you would call typical family context of uh, dad, mom, children, but what about people who are single, people who are barren, people who have lost spouses and are now widowed? Where's the good news for them in all of this? Yeah, I, this is this is where the church as that view of a larger family comes into place, uh, where we walk alongside each other, where we enter into family-like supportive relationships of one another, where, you know, the young person who doesn't have mom and dad around or grandparents around has someone in the congregation who takes on that type of a role. You know, they are kind of acting as if they are mom and dad or grandparent or kind of an uncle. It's interesting. I've seen the way in which in a couple of different congregations, especially widows, kind of form this sisterhood. Fewer widowers in, in, in that sense, uh, just statistically, that's kind of the trend anyway. But very organically, was actually just noticing this with someone who recently came and has become connected with our congregation here in Livermore, when it was fairly quickly discovered that you know, she had lost her husband somewhat recently, and she's kind of reconnecting to a church here, and, and she's brand new to us. And some of the other ladies in a similar situation immediately started telling her about this pie group that they have. And un until a couple of months ago, and I've been here a couple of years now, and I'd never heard, I have no idea what this is. This is this almost quiet underground thing with the widows of the congregation. They gather together and have pie together and support each other. And, and I feel like that's family in the sense of sisters who have gone through a similar loss and are able to support one another to provide connection and relationship to each other uh, to help, help them to know that they're not alone in the midst of a loss. You know, we can look at life and say, I don't have. Or as a church, we can come around each other and say, what can we provide? How can we walk with one another in a way so that we're looking at what we do have rather than what we think we don't have? Just as you said, with anyone who is widowed, any family who's childless, their place still belongs within the family of believers. Look around you and see who you do have, uh, who needs you, and, and do you need them? Dave, thank you so much for being on today, for giving us your time. And can you just quickly tell us where we can find your book? Well, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it through the Concordia Publishing House website. 
either of those. My other, I do have a second book uh, that's focusing on uh, the call of commissioned workers called Called to Serve. So Called to Serve and Teaching the Faith at Home, what does this mean and how is this done, both by the yep. Dr. Dave Reeder. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Steph. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Thank you.